Do y'all want to hear the announcement? Are y'all... Some of you are like, I ain't begging you for nothing. I don't really care about your announcement anyway. Anyway, so, and, and when I tell you this announcement, it's big, and it's big to me, because I haven't been planning this. I haven't been strategizing this. This is just one of those out-of-the-blue miracles from God. So, y'all ready? Yeah. Drum roll, please. Ooh, that's crispy. <laughs> Union Church. Pregnant pause is launching our sixth location. Don't stand up yet. That ain't the part. So everybody's like, oh, duh, that's what we do. Y'all ready? In four weeks on Welcome Home Sunday, we're adding to the family. Union Church, Falls Church, Virginia. Okay, let, let me explain. There's the God is good, and then there's, that's my commute, you just cut in half. She said, I just saved on gas money. <laughs> Now, some of y'all are just like, we don't do that at Union. We take 12 months to launch a campus, or we take six months at least. What's with this four weeks? Well, in pure Union Church fashion, I actually have a biological sister. I'm one of five, but my sister and my brother-in-law, Stephanie and Rashad Shabazz, pastor a church in the Falls Church area called Lifestyle Church. They've pastored there for the last five years, and God has blessed that church and done amazing things through that church. And we kind of just got to talking, and it was just one of those what if. I mean, y'all over there, we're over here. But what if, I mean, the Bible says one can chase a thousand, but two can chase. And I don't know about y'all, but at Union, we kind of done this before. We, we used to be Destiny, used to be I-5, came together. Everybody's like, I don't know if it's going to work. And then it just messed around and doubled. What if we did it again? Maybe God would bless it in a whole different way. And when I tell you it happened fast, I mean, it happened fast. So actually, Pastor Rashad is going to be coming on staff here at Union Church, and Lifestyle Church is going to be launched as Falls Church Union Church on September 10th. I'll, I'll preach it a little bit, but when I tell y'all, y'all, I didn't see this coming. This wasn't planning. Like, we're in talks about what our next campus is going to be. We're going to announce it on Vision Sunday like we always do and kind of give you the 12-month buildup and all that. And God said, gotcha, nope, I'm doing something different. Catch up. So, if you live in the Northern Virginia area, <laughs> tell me you ain't from around here without telling me you ain't from around here. <laughs> If you're in Alexandria, if you're in Dumfries, Manassas, Woodbridge, all those Northern Virginia areas, and you've been commuting to Flowers or to Columbia or whatever, there is now a campus for you. Come on now. There's already a couple hundred people down there waiting on you, but we're asking. We need about 200 people from Union Church to say, hey, I want to be a part of launching that campus. I want to be a part of seeing lives transformed in that area. So whether you're watching online or you're in one of our rooms, grab your phone and text the word Falls Church, Falls Church to 97000, Falls Church to 97000. And if you're in that area, you can go ahead and text that and we'll get you connected with the pastors at that campus. And we're going to see that long, y'all, five, four weeks, really, September 10th. That is like tomorrow. But I'm telling you, God's going to do something supernatural. Amen. I normally say this at the end of the service, but I do want to say it real quick just so all the other campuses can hear me say that. If you're a tither at Union Church, if you've put God first in your finances, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, give yourselves a hand. 
You may not know this, but launching campuses are expensive, like multiple six figures expensive. But because you trust God and you trust the vision of this church, when God brings a miracle, we don't have to take an offering. We don't have to say, no, we can't do it or whatever it may be because the resources are already there. All we have to do is say, yes, God, let's go for it. So if you're a giver at Union Church, know that this would not be possible without your generosity. So come on, give yourselves a hand. Amen. If you're not a giver at Union Church, this has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's funny when you're joking, but not joking. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Y'all ready to preach? We're going to wrap up, put a bow on this mentioned series, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And it reads, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for a third week in a row, said, amen, no one. <laughs> no one wants to be led by God into drama. But just because you're in the midst of drama does not mean you're outside of the will of God. We've got to stop trying to fight for drama-free lives and start fighting for purpose-filled lives. If it comes with drama, bring the drama. But I want to be in the will of God. So we wrap up, skipping over to verse 8. It says this, And again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly... What is it with Satan in these heights, man? I don't do heights. An exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him... All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For can you read that with me? It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and administer to him. Father God, we say here is our worship. Here is our praise. Here is our adoration. God, some of us are having the best week of our lives. and God, we lift you up. Some of us are having the worst week of our lives. And God, we still lift you up. Because though you slay me, yes, will we bless you. Yet, will we worship you. God, have your way in this moment. Speak, do what only you can do. We'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. God, we pray a prayer of blessing over the Baltimore Ravens as they are back in training camp. God, this is your season. In Jesus' name, amen. And can the real saints say amen and amen and amen. If you're mad, you just don't love God. That's all right. I have a message for you today entitled, What's Your Number? What's your, what's your number? What's your number? Not, not what's your phone number, but what's your number? That when you see that number in your bank account, you say, Mama, I made it. What's the number? That when you see that number in your bank account, you walk into work on Monday, and you say, I quit. <laughs> this is my two weeks notice. In two weeks, you're going to notice that I haven't been here in two weeks. <laughs> We've been talking over the last few weeks about how for some reason, the enemy feels like he is authorized to comment on your life. He feels like for some reason he has the authority to tell you where you failed and where you've succeeded and, and what your future is going to look like and what you're allowed to dream for and what you're allowed to have. And as he comes with these comments and these temptations and these discouragements and these overwhelming moments, we would think that God would just banish him. But actually God isn't banishing him, God is actually using him. 
Because what the enemy intends for evil, God is always able to turn it around for good. God says, since he is here, let me use him to test you to see what's really on the inside of you. Why would God test you? The same reason a professor would test you, because they're trying to promote you to the next level, to the next grade, to be able to graduate with honors, and you do not get promoted without a test. So we've got to learn to grow up and to mature as believers and realize that when there's sickness in my life, it's not just an attack, but it's a test, which means there's a miracle on the other side of this if I can just hold my faith and trust the healer through this situation. We've got to grow up and realize that when people walk out of our lives, it's not just rejection and it's not just pain, but it is a test from the enemy, and that means God is getting ready to send a miracle on the other side. James said, if you would grow up, you would count it all joy when you fall in a trial. I love the word fall because nobody jumps in a drama unless you messy. Like, look at your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Say, are you messy? Because I don't do I don't deal with messy people. I don't, some people just like the drama. I, I don't deal with messy people. But he said, hey, celebrate when you fall in a drama. Because it's a testing of your faith, and every test produces. So we talked week one about how God will test your self-control. Do you have control over your appetite? Can you walk past the donut? <laughs> and say, nope, I hit my calories for the week. I'll see you next week. Can you walk by somebody you're not married to and say, nope, my destiny is too valuable to forfeit it on a snack? Come on now. Last week we talked about pride and how you can never walk into the miracle that God has for you as long as you have something to prove to other people. If you're performing for others, you will not be able to walk in the purpose that God has for you because oftentimes purpose doesn't make sense to the carnal eye until God's finished fashioning and forming, until that kairos moment when you are revealed to the world. And by the way, when you're revealed to the world, everybody's going to be shocked because God doesn't do this build up, build up, drip, 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 drip. No, God's like that homegirl that had a concert last night at FedEx Arena. He'll just drop a miracle at midnight and they'll sell out. <laughs> huh, what? So we got to the final test today. And in this moment, Satan takes Jesus to the top of, the Bible says, an exceedingly high mountain. And he says, look down. Look at all the countries. Oil over there, gold over there, diamonds over there. Look at all the influence. Look at all the glory. Look at all the power. I will give all of this to you if you would just bow down and worship. Look at your neighbor and say, what's your number? What's your number? What's your What's your number? What's your number? What's your number? I was reading this and, and I was just like, okay, why, why, why the mountain? Why, 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 what does the mountain moment represent? Can, 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 I, can I help you out a little bit? Your greatest temptations will not come in the most painful seasons of your life. Can, can, can I tell you why? Because when you're in a season that it is too big for you to handle, it is only natural to cry out to God. We, we think our greatest temptations come in the midst of our greatest sickness or in the midst of our greatest rejection or in the midst of our greatest loss. Let me just help you out. It's in those seasons, the valley season, the tormented season, that you pray more than you've ever prayed before, that you fast more than you ever fasted before, that you cry out to God more than you ever cried out to God. You don't get attacked when life is difficult. Actually, the greatest temptations in your life come in those mountaintop moments. And I was thinking in scripture, what do mountains represent? Well, mountains represent the end of a trial. 
If you remember, Noah got the prophecy from God. I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to start over, build an ark. Noah builds this ark and it rains day and night and, and it's flooded everywhere. And then what does the Bible say? It says, Noah knew that the flood was over when the boat came to rest on a... It was the anchoring of a mountain that let Noah know his storm was over. And then he sent the dove out and he sent the different birds out. And it's not until he saw the mountaintops of other mountains that he realized the water is receding. The storm is over. Can, can, can I tell you when the temptation comes? Not when you lose your job. But when you found a better job. And you're like, man, I think I survived that storm. But just in case another storm comes, I don't think I'm going to tithe off of this one. I've got to make sure I save an emergency fund just in case that happens. Hear me. Your greatest temptation does not come in the storm. It comes on the mountaintops. I, I know why we're not in a relationship series, but you, you, you got to understand if you're single, Holding on to your purity, your life depends on it. Because if I don't, I'm not able to hold on to my purity when I don't have to. Then when I actually should, and the real temptation comes, that's when it'll be a struggle. I'm not, I'm not talking about now, I'm preparing for later. The mountain doesn't just represent the end of a story. The mountain represents when you're closest to God. Think about it. It was on the mountaintop that Moses encountered the burning bush. And he finally heard what the purpose... There's a moment when you're finally going to realize, here's why I've been through so much drama. Here's what the enemy was trying to abort in my life. Here, here's what he was trying to take out. It's because I'm going to have this impact on my family. It's because I'm going to have this impact. This is what the fight was over. Here is Moses on the top of the mountain hearing from God that you're a deliverer. And here comes Satan. Oh, but you stutter. Oh, but they can't follow you. The, the, the temptation will come when you are closer to God. Mountains represent vision. He took him up on that mountain. He said, look at all the kingdoms. Look, look, everything you see, I'll give it to you. There's not a lot of temptation to compromise when you don't know who you are and you can't see where you can go. Do you, not, not everybody here is saved enough, but those are y'all that are saved and honest. Do you remember a season in your life where you underestimated yourself? You remember that season when you thought you were normal, you thought you were average, you didn't realize you were anointed, you, you didn't realize that there was much to you, you're just like, man, if I could just get into that school, if I could just get out of that school, if I could just get a job, if I could just get somebody to love me for the rest of my life, if I could just, we're in these seasons, if I could, this is good enough, and when you're there, it, it, it's survival mode. But it's after you realize, wait, God is for me. And it doesn't matter who's against me. Wait, wait, he's gifting me? Wait, my gifts are opening doors and bringing me before grace. It's when you realize, wait, I've got something to offer. I, I have vision for my life. That the enemy is able to come and say, hey, I, I've, I've got something for you. Now, here's what's interesting. First temptation, he said, turn the, the, the stones into bread if you're the son of God. He tacked his identity. Jump off this cliff and prove that the angels will catch you if you're the He was building him up. Just because you get away with the first compromise doesn't mean you're getting away with it. And I'm not trying to hype the enemy, but just hear me. He's patient. And he'll set you up. And the first time he comes, he won't really tell you what he's coming for. But after the third time, he finally got to it. I want your worship. 
If you would bow down and worship me, I'll give you anything that you see. I've got one question for you one more time. What's your number? What's that thing that you want so badly that you'd actually compromise your morals to get it? What's that one thing that if I could just get... mm, I mean, I'll tithe afterwards. You, you ever heard people tell those jokes like, you know, how much would they have to pay you to go a three-minute round with Mike Tyson? <laughs> and not even 20-year-old Mike Tyson. Have y'all seen 55-year-old Mike Tyson? He's still a bad man. <laughs> if they paid you a million dollars, would you go around with Mike Tyson? Show hands, show hands, show hands, show hands. No, nobody? My hand is up. I figure he old, he can't catch me. Come on, Thomas, I'm a run. I'm actually, not that they would offer me a million dollars, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, okay, if you're going to pay me a mil, I'll do it. Do I just let him hit me and knock me out and then I'm good? And just sleep for three minutes, wake up and pay me? <laughs> or do I run around for three minutes and hope to God he never catches me? You ever seen those shows, Fear Factor? Where they're like, if you make it through all these challenges, we'll give you a million dollars at the end. And like, I, I got student loans. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And then they open a bathtub, and it's a bathtub full of snakes. And it's like, you got to get in there and lay there for eight minutes. You see? No. I got two hands, two feet. I'm going to go work. I'm going to earn my living. I don't care that much. I will fight Mike Tyson for three minutes for a million dollars. I will not lay in a bed of snakes for 30 seconds. And some of you are like, sign me up. Where the bathtub at, Al? They kind of walk. Would you eat a roach for a million dollars? Would you? I'm 50 50 on that one, y'all. I, I ain't even gonna hold you. A mill is a lot of money. I'm just like, listen. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know if I respect our pastor. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, just don't, just don't, don't taste it. Just swallow that joint. <laughs> Would you commit to never mention the name of Jesus on your job for a million dollars? Because some of us already have. Separation of church and state. This is a a religious free zone. It's all fun and games when it's roaches and snakes. It's a whole different story when he says, hey, I know these are the numbers, but if they see that number, they're not going to buy our company. Can you just leave that out of the report? We're not lying. We're just omitting information. What's your number? What's that dream that I wanted so bad? You know, it's not black and white. It's kind of just like gray. Ish. Three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. The first one is this. We're going to laugh in a moment, but now we're going to cry. You ready? Do your dreams own you? Do your dreams own you? The last test that God is going to put you through is the test of ambition. What is it that you see? What is it that you want? How badly do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? The Bible says this in Proverbs 29. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where where there's no vision, another translation, people cast off restraint. It's not good to see, not be able to see where you're going. It's not good to have a vision when you don't have a vision for your marriage or your relationships or your money or your future. You would not believe how many believers don't have a vision for their faith. My, my, my only vision is that I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to pray this prayer, give my life to Jesus, but there's 70 years before, between you and eternity. And if you don't have a vision for what this relationship with God is going to produce in my life, you're just going to throw off all restraint. It's dangerous to live life without vision. But can I help you out? 
Having a vision is not all it's cracked up to be. Because when you finally get a vision, and it's like that Old Spice commercial. You ever seen that commercial? Look at your man, now look back at me, now look at your man, now look back at me. I could be your man, but you're with that guy. Wait. Y'all ain't seen that commercial, have you? It's a great commercial. When you've got a vision for your life, and then you come back and you look at your reality, then you look at your vision, and you look at your reality, and it's like that Bible verse out of context, as far as the east is from the west, is what I thought my marriage was going to look like. And what it actually looks like. It's where I thought I would be by 42. And where I'm actually at by 42. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12. Hope deferred. Hope delayed. Makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes. It is a tree of life. What does the Bible say? The Bible is saying, hey, when you've got a vision for your life, but it's not yet the reality, if you really want that vision, it makes you sick. You, 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 you get nauseous. You, you get uneasy because I, I, I see the kids that I want to raise, but I know the medical difficulty that we're going through. I, I see the business that God's laid on my heart. I, I see the future that God has for me, but... Where I want to be and where I am is not. And when you have that sickness of hope, you ain't thinking straight. You, you may have heard me, me, me tell this story before, and I told a little bit of the beginning last week, but I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 16, and, and I actually for three days straight did not sleep. I think I was losing my mind, but I had these visions of God just using me to point people to know him as their Lord and Savior, not just to become Christians, but to walk fully in all that he's called me to do. So from 16 to 23, God was just instilling this vision of this church that he called me to pastor and, and the people's lives that were going to be impacted and it was going to be here in Maryland and all that other good stuff and, and nothing about the vision had yet come to pass. But here's the deal. When you're young and you know it's not your time, it's okay. But it's different when you're not so young anymore. <laughs> It's different when you feel like this is my time, but yet I don't see it come to pass. And I planted the church and it launched well, 300 people, 150 after the first year, 250, 350 after the third. And year three, it stalled out. And for three years, this church could not grow by one person. And it's long ago enough that I can just kind of be real with you. Yeah, I was sick. I mean, the torment of Maybe I'm not gifted. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I'm not called. Maybe I'm not anointed enough. Maybe I don't have what the self-doubt, I mean, the inner voice is just imploding. Y'all, to the point where I tried to quit. I mean, it sounds dumb now looking at all that God was doing. But in the moment, all I know is this is what he showed me and I don't know how to get there. And I've tried everything that I can. And for some reason, that dream is not coming to pass. So maybe the dream was a fantasy. Hear me. Some of you have given up on dreams from God because it took longer than you thought it was going to take. And you've convinced yourself that maybe it wasn't a dream. It was really a fantasy. And what you may not realize is time is one of the greatest tools that God uses to test your heart. Psalm 105 verse 19 says this, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord, watch this, tested him. Ugh. This is talking about Joseph. Y'all know Joseph? At about 13 years old, God gave him a dream that his entire family was going to bow down and worship him. And for 22 years after that dream, everything in Joseph's life looked the exact opposite of what God had promised him. And the Bible says in Psalm that it was all a test from God. Is that dream going to come to pass? And watch this. It's in that sixth season. It's in that season of I see the vision, but I can't take hold of it. That the enemy comes and he says, you see all that out there? 
I'll give it to you. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. Now, two things I want to pull out. When Satan said, all that you see, I'll give it to you. Jesus did not say it's not yours to give. Does that make sense? Which means Satan had the power to, can, can, can I say something real fast? Everything that glitters ain't gold. Everything that the world calls successful is not successful. Just because you made a meal doesn't mean you didn't sell your soul to get it. And be, oh, I'm having fun. I may not do this rest of it. That's why as a church, we've got to be careful making money and blessings synonymous. Because if we think money and blessings are synonymous, anything that brings money, we're going to call it a blessing. And hear me, God brings money and the enemy brings money. So you better know where it came from. Y'all really want me to teach? All right, let's teach. Genesis chapter 2, God made man and woman in the garden. He gave them dominion over the entire earth. When they listened to Satan, they gave up their dominion and they gave it to the enemy. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says Satan is the prince of the power of the air because he actually has dominion over popularity and influence and, and money and prestige and he can give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and Now, not a show of hands, because I know some people be crazy. But if I were to say, who wants to bow down and worship Satan? Guess what? All of you people better say. Not I. I never would. But we all already have. Because anything we acquire that doesn't give God glory is idolatry. Anything I took hold of, not by God's way, but by my way, anything that I stepped around God to get, I didn't bow a knee to Satan. But God can't get glory from that story, which means it's, do you know the goal is not that God wants to make you rich? The goal is that your story to wealth is such an example of the goodness and the greatness of God that those siblings that grew up in the same house as you and they see your life but they know who you are, they begin to say, this isn't adding up. What is going on here? And now it's your opportunity to say, yeah, I'm better than y'all, but not really. It's God. It's we only see the destination. God says, no, 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 no. Your story is going to put lost people in heaven. And when we say, no, I don't care how I get there as long as I get there. I'll make up a story when I get there. It's idolatry. Let's do a quick idolatry litmus test. You ready? I know it's an idol. This is an easy one. If I compromise my morals to get it. If I'm willing to lie, step on other people, omit truth, manipulate compromise on my biblical convictions, saying the end justifies the means. It's an idol. Ready for test number two? If I can't find joy until I get it. If I'm miserable until I get married. I'm miserable until I get money. Miserable until I get their respect. It's an idol. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength, not the joy of success. Go a little deeper. If I'm willing to sacrifice relationships for that goal, it's an idol. Now hear me. Friends come, friends go. There's some that are for life. Most are not. But if I start to say cultural stuff, like, yeah, my kids won't know who I am for a season, but at least they'll have a great future. That ain't biblical. 
neglecting your responsibility as a parent just to provide? My spouse, they ain't going to see me for a while, but they know I'm hustling. I got security. If you're so committed to your goal that you have no time or energy to help another human being reach theirs, it's an idol. One more, then we're going to laugh. Okay, 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 okay. One more, one more, one more. You laughing? I'm not laughing. Okay. You know it's an idol when you say, I don't want it anymore. And then you go obsessed over something else to distract you from the misery of not having it. We've got some idols that we think we've walked away from. But it so torments us that we obsess ourselves in something else to distract us from the fact that we didn't get what we really wanted. Not realizing what we really wanted owned us. Does your dream own you? All right, come on, belly laugh. Everybody just say, <laughs> You got to lighten up the moment. This is a little tense, a little tense, a little tense. All right, what do I do if my dream owns me? Simple, write this down. Make your dream centered. You, you can have a dream that started off center and you bring it on center. You, 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 you can have a marriage that started off center and you bring it on center. You, you, you can have a, a career that started in selfish origins, but you can bring it on center. What do I mean by bring it on center? Whatever that dream is, bring it to a place where Christ is the center of it. You hear me preach this often. Here is Moses on the verge of stepping into the promised land. 400 plus years Israel was in slavery waiting for this moment. Thousands of years he prophesied to Abraham, one day everything you see is going to be yours. God gets Moses to the edge of the border and he says, go on in. It's yours. And then Moses said to God in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, 15, you going? I says, no, no, I'm not going. Why are you not going? Because y'all never wanted me in the first place. You just wanted out of Egypt. So I'm giving you what you want. Go ahead. And Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. How do I bring a vision centered around Christ? Where you say, God, if you're not going to get glory out of this, I don't want it. I'll walk away. God, if your presence isn't in the center of it, how are they going to know that I'm favored by God unless you speak and pray and, and, and do something in this situation? God, I, I refuse to touch it unless you bless it. All right. That was supposed to be a laugh moment, but there was no laugh there. <laughs> so now we're going to gut you again. Okay, ready? Here's the problem with God's path. You only get the miracle after you die. Ugh. That really stinks. I mean, think about it. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. That son's going to turn into an entire nation. Abraham, here's your son. Now kill him. Hold on. This is all I ever prayed for. This is what I waited for. Yeah, but it's an idol. No, it's not. Then walk away. Ooh. If I can't walk away, it's an idol. Oh. David. I'm anointing you king over Israel. For the next 10 years of your life, you're going to run for your life. And everything that you want is going to be chasing you to take you out. Ooh. It's enough time. Statue of limitations, I can tell you. You know why the church stalled at 400 and wouldn't grow? 
A lot of reasons, leadership stuff and all. I found this out later. It was God who was blocking me. Because I see it in hindsight. I didn't see it in the moment. God says, Stephen, your identity is pastor, not child of God. You find your self-worth in amens and how people see you and what they think about you and who invites you in to preach and all that. And where I'm taking you, if you've got that people pleasing in you, it's going to destroy you. So I got to beat it out of you before I can give it to you. Oh, I've never told this story before. So I'm in a conference in California, could not sleep up at six in the morning, walking the streets, called my wife. I said, babe, I'm ready to give the church up. She said, what are you talking about? And I said, if me not being in control helps us win more people than I can win by myself, I'm not allowed to hold on to this because that would be for me and it wouldn't be for God. And she said, oh my gosh, but this is all you've ever wanted. And I said, I know. (laughs) And what's wild is God never had me kill it, obviously. He just wanted to see if I'd walk away. Because if it's an idol, I can't bless it. But the second you let it go, I can blow it. I'm not even going to preach that to you. I start talking about relationships you need to walk away from and businesses you need to walk away from and dream. But I ain't going to do that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit look at your neighbor and say, he just did. He just did. He just. <laughs> Sean, come play. We're going to land this. Romans 12, 1. You could jot these down and maybe read them during the week. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I love the translation that says, to lay your life down as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? I got to bury my dreams, bury my goals, bury my, like Moses said, God, I want it, but I don't want it without you. Live by it as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Oh, this is true worship, by the way. It ain't some cute song that you sing on Sunday that's convenient, that's part of it. But part of true worship is, God, I don't want anything that you don't want. I don't want anything that you're not in. Watch this, verse 2. Do not conform to the way that the world does it, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you will be able to what? test and approve what's God's will. And hear me, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's per. Most people have never walked into a God-ordained marriage because they won't bury their own dreams and ambitions. We have all these erroneous teachings about marriage. When you get married, don't lose your identity. Make sure you stay you. No, die. Bury your dreams so that your spouse's dreams can come to pass. And it's in death that you see the miracles of God come to pass in your, not holding on for your identity. Colossians 3.2 says this, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Can I just give you a secret to miracles? Normally, the most inconvenient path you could take is the way to get to the miracle God has for you. Normally, the thing that looks like you're giving up on your biggest dream is the doorway to the biggest miracle you've ever seen. Last thing is this. Write this down. Talk to your dream. So here it is. Satan takes Jesus up on this mountain. And he says, I give you everything. You see, just bow down and, and worship me. And It appears to me that jumping off of a cliff, last week's message, is no temptation whatsoever. Up on this mountain where it's just me and Satan, I just got to give him a little bit of, and then I get all of this. That seems like the bigger temptation. 
But Jesus said no to the bowed knee faster than he said no to jumping off a cliff. I'd have been the reverse. I'd have not jumped off the cliff. I'd have thought about the bowed knee. I ain't going to hold you. You won't tell if I don't tell, right? <laughs> not only did Jesus say no to this faster than anything else, this is the first time Jesus said, get out of my face. He never banished Satan before this moment. Now he says, get away from me because I know why was He's so excited to say, get out of my face. Can I help you? Because the enemy always overplays his hand. Here's what Jesus got excited about. He said, hold on, you're you going to give me all of this and all this glory? Well, guess what? My daddy already said I can have it. You ain't giving me nothing that wasn't mine in the first place. He realized the enemy has nothing to offer. There's nothing he can give me that my father hasn't already promised me. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this about our Lord. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that every nation, every kingdom, every principality, every authority, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said, everything you're promising me is already mine. Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. The enemy can't offer you anything that God hasn't already promised you. And what the enemy offers you is always going to cost you more than it's worth. The only thing the enemy offers is a shortcut. Shortcuts are nice. Let me finish the message. Y'all, mountains represent closest to God. They measure vision. They, they represent the end of a storm. But they also represent a barrier to your promise. If you're standing and your dream is over there and there's a mountain in between you, you either got to go over it or you've got to go around it. Somebody say there's no shortcuts. Until I read Mark chapter 11. For surely I say to you, whoever will say to this, what did Jesus do every time the enemy attacked him? He didn't fight. He, he didn't call on angels. He just spoke the word of God. I, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. Watch this. He will have whatever he Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask on the next 21 days, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Here is the lie of the enemy. I'll give you a shortcut. And if you do it God's way, it's going to take you an eternity to get it. No, no, no. God's got a shortcut too. And it's not worshiping the enemy. It's just saying things that the word of God has promised over my life. And whatever I decree and declare, it will come to pass. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord 
So for about 30 seconds, do I have any believers that you would dare say, this is what God has for me. I am the head and I am not the tail. I am above and I am not beneath. He is going to give me influence and favor. He's going to provide for my family. He's going to take care of my kids. He's going to heal my body. He's going to take me before great men. He's going to open door after door after door. He's going to send contracts. He's going to send employees. He's going to send ideas. He's going to give me all that I need. I decree it. I declare it. And I receive it in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen in this place. Don't sit. I'm going to pray. I'm done. I've learned a little something about this kingdom thing. And, and I'm doing it in your midst. And you don't even realize it. So I'm going to let the secret out the bag so you can start doing it for yourself. You know on a random Sunday you'll hear me say, hey, can you welcome Columbia? Can you, can you welcome Flowers and UBC? Then I'll randomly say Richmond and Philly and Rockville and Bethesda. We don't got no campus in Rockville and Bethesda and Richmond. But what am I doing? I'm saying what I know that God's going to do. I'm decreeing over the atmosphere. God, you're going to supernaturally open doors that we don't even see coming. So when Falls Church opens up, I'm not surprised because I've been declaring open doors for the last few years. You need to start talking over your life and declaring. Look, don't worry about who thinks you're crazy. Don't worry about who thinks it doesn't make sense. Just start saying what you seek. And watch mountains that other people have to walk around. God will just move it out of your way. Because you are crazy enough not to take the temptation of the enemy. And you are crazy enough to trust me. Watch me bring a miracle in your life. I'm not in this for what I can work for. That's what unbelievers do. I'm in this for what God can supernaturally do. That's out, and I'm believing the same thing for you. Somebody shout amen in this place. Father God, we're grateful. We are thankful. God, that you said no good thing will you withhold. As long as we don't get our eyes off of you. So in this moment, God, our eyes are locked on you. Just where you're standing or sitting, pray this prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I think for some of us, God is saying, dig that dream back up. I didn't tell you to bury that. I didn't tell you I wasn't going to do it. I was just waiting for it not to be an idol. For some of you, God is saying, get your eyes locked back on me. For some of you, if you'd be honest, your eyes have never been locked on Jesus. Well, now's your moment. If you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I've been muscling it out. I've been doing it in my own strength. I, I thought he didn't care about my future. I realize I can't do it without him. If that's you and you need Jesus in your life right where you are. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing me when I wasn't looking for you. Thank you for caring about my future when I wasn't caring about you. Thank you for dying on the cross, shedding your blood so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. In this moment, I give you all of me. I make you the center of my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And Come on, can you celebrate for everything?